Hey guys, welcome back to the Micmac Podcast. Um, today we're going to be talking about the 1619 Project and what that means to your uh, youngins getting educated. Uh, we've got Mr. Isaac Funderburk here today. Um, one of the, uh, you're working with the um, Tennessee, Tennessee Stands Stan organization. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're going to be talking about a bunch of fun stuff, guys. Get ready to rock and roll. Here we go. Hello ladies and gents, thank you for tuning in to another wonderful episode of the Tri-Cities most riveting and informative show. Live from the hills of the Appalachias, the Mac Podcast, where your conservative libertarian hosts, Daniel McRae and Matt McRum, talk with you about some of today's most important issues and discuss how they affect you, the freedom-loving citizens of Northeastern Tennessee. So, light your cigar, pour a glass of your favorite bourbon, kick up your feet, and get ready to dive right in. This is the Mick Mac Podcast. And we are back today, uh, ladies and gents. We're actually talking about the 1619 Project. What that is, uh, it's an idea. Uh, it's an article. It's actually a group of writers, but the main one is a lady named Nicole Hannah Jones, and she actually wrote an article in the New York Times Magazine. Uh, it's actually entitled the 1619 Project, and it actually goes or goes on the premise, or starts starts the premise, that the actual, our country didn't start in 1776. It was actually started the first uh, year that slaves were brought here. Isaac, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, so Anything? before uh, getting ready for this podcast, I actually hadn't read the entire article. I just right. glanced through it and wasn't exactly sure that was the whole thing. So I kept looking for some essay or book or something to, right. to do this, but it's just, just some... Relatively short paragraphs in a, in a New York Times article, which surprised me. What, yeah. What, how, do, how do you, well, like, how does the 169, like, how do you think of a 1619 project coming, you know, because you're a totally different age yeah. than us. You know, we're old now. <laughs> yeah. And Daniel's slightly older than me, of course, but. Yes. Uh, yes. No, yeah. so, like, how, do, how does it make, like, whenever you think of the 1619 project, what does it mean to you? Just summer. Just what, do you, what does it mean to you? the top of my head, it means the most recent development in the un-Americanizing of, uh, of the American mindset right, right now. Right, right. De-Americanizing of the culture. Right. It's the right. more extreme side of right. the left of the political spectrum right now. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't, I'm homeschooled, so, or used to be. I'm just, just recently graduated, moving into high, uh, college, all that. So, You I, avoided that. That was great. Good job. Mm -hmm. Congratulations yeah. to your Thank parents you. also. Mm -hmm. So, uh, they survived me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, thankfully, I was not educated in that. That really, it was never really a problem for me. Um, I've been homeschooled all my life, so I never had that that type of influence. Done a lot of self education, and so I knew about all these issues, but it wasn't from a period of trying to teach it to me. It was me learning about them. So that's a very different perspective going into it. So did um, they teach you to be racist? So you're homeschooled, so they you avoided this. They don't want to be on time yeah. and be logical, things <laughs> like that, which are Those very are, endemically yeah. racist, very racist terrible, things, terrible things. Um, so what 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 um. Just real quick, this is a side topic. What did your parents like teach you as far as race issues? Like, I'm sure they taught you slavery was a thing. They taught me definitely taught me slavery was a thing. You know, just basic history. I, I think or hope most Americans would know that this is where we first came over here. This is when slavery happened. This is what it looked like in Africa. This is what it looked like in other places around the world, mm -hmm. in Europe and in America, and how in America it did last longer than other places. That's, that's right. an obvious fact. And then uh, how the 
Harriet Tubman, all the classical figures there, mm-hmm. and then the Frederick Emancipation, Douglas. Frederick Douglass, yeah, all, all these people, <clears throat> Civil War, just through the whole history of slavery. They didn't talk, teach it specifically, but this is the history this of slavery. This is what you should focus on. This is the whole basis right. of America. You know, that's what right. the 1619 right. Project would do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, right. And one thing I do want to point out to people, though, is, you know, I was talking to a friend earlier, and um, everyone wants to give you know, the Founding Fathers flack, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for not abolishing slavery on the 4th of July. They had so many things that they were worrying about. They were like, okay. literally, we're out here stretched out. We're a colony. We're just cutting ourselves off. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, then all the things, the fires that you have to put out is like, it's amazing that they were even able to get together and write on a piece of paper, you know? Well, yeah, but there's a lot of history that a lot of people don't know, man. Like, uh, right after, I mean, like, I'm going to say 1777, 1778, you know, you had Virginia and a bunch of other northern uh, colonies that that are states that were actually pushing against this already. Right. So it was already a but terrible like, idea. But it was like, you're trying to, you're trying to, it's not like, it's not like these guys come over and, and then, then everybody was like, oh, slavery is great. You know, that's no. not how it was. What I'm saying is right. like, people don't give them credit. Like, there's uh, so many things going on. Sure. That you know we're trying to establish a country first, sure. right? You're like for frontier, yeah. To have an act, yeah, you was like right. there, yeah, yeah, you're cutting yourself off from the largest empire in the world. Mm-hmm. You're you know? getting ready to go to war with yeah, them. yeah, and you're yeah, you're going to war with these people. It's like guys, I mean, we can argue about slavery later, right? But it wasn't just in the United States; it was everywhere. Right. And also, oh, yeah. one thing that Brazil, people Brazil, Cuba, one, one Jamaica. Thing that people don't realize it was only until it was only in the 1860s that slavery of a white person was outlawed in England. Hmm. Slavery yeah. of well, a white slave. You know that yeah. the Slavs, like exactly, in, uh, yeah, the Slavs. Uh-huh. That actually, you know, like in the Eastern European countries, mm-hmm. that that means slave. When was the emancipation of the Serbs in Russia? I can't remember when that, that date was. I'm, but I am that's not basically, sure, basically the same thing. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, the served them, but you know, people will be like, you know, actual shackles and slaves. You know, people forget. Like they were like, oh yeah, white slaves, or whatever. No, actual like people, people who are Irish too. Um, you know, but again, Slavs, especially yeah. from Russia, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they were slaves and enslaved mm-hmm. right next to black people. Mm-hmm. And that was a thing that they passed the bill, you know, or passed the law yeah. in England banning that first. At first it was for white people. But, I mean, still, they didn't care about Slavs. But um, anyway, just a little bit of history. Anyway, let's go. Um, we can get back yeah. into this. Yeah. So so uh, what we're doing is uh, we actually got an article here by Rich Lowry. And what I've read quite a few articles. Well, I'm, I'm going to say not quite a few, but a few articles actually uh, disputing the 1619 Project. And this is one of the best ones that I actually come, aco- come across. So there's a few bullet points. But we're actually going to read these bullet points. And uh, so the first one is leaving out unwelcome facts about slavery. Ms. Shannon, you want to read that whole section for us, please? Uh, sure. So, Hannah Jones's account of American slavery is just justly excoriating, but it is careful to leave out anything that might even slightly complicate her story or might prove discomforting to the left. They were, Hannah Jones writes, of the first slaves brought to the colonial America among the 12.5 million Africans who would be kidnapped from their homes and brought in chains across the Atlantic Ocean. She doesn't say who kidnapped them, She refers later to, quote, people stolen from Western and Central Africa. Again, she doesn't say who first stole these people so they could be sent across the Atlantic in chains. Okay. So it gives people have an idea that, you know, white people just got got on their ships and they went to Africa and then they, you know, invaded and just started capturing people. Okay. But, well, like it says right here, it says, the reason, um, 
you know, that he's asking, you know, why not? Like it or not, it was Africans who captured other Africans and marched them to the coast to be sold to European slavers. African slavery existed before Europeans showed up, and it persisted after they left. This, of course, doesn't make the Middle Passage so excruciatingly awful. It's difficult to even read about. It doesn't make it any better, of course. But it cuts against the impression that she wants to leave out uh, slavery uh, was a un- uniquely European and especially American phenomenon, which it was. It was just a world. I mean, in every other point in human history, it's the if you're part of a, a losing side, you, you're a slave. Yeah. Even in Greece, you know, you have... The Spartans enslaving the, their fellow Greeks. Aztecs, we don't cut the hearts out and let the bodies exactly. fall down the temple. Sacrifice right. them you to know. the sun. And of course, you know, guys, of course, as we're making these points, slavery we, was, is terrible. Right, it doesn't matter who does it or where it's done. It is terrible. But we actually, you know, we want to make sure everyone understands that, you know, this nation, this the greatest nation on this mm-hmm. earth was not predicated on the fact that we had slaves and, you know, they were everywhere. And it's unfortunate that the African tribes were were mm-hmm. warring mm-hmm. with each other. It's and, just human nature. And actually, yeah. you know, capturing, capturing people and selling them. Mm-hmm. Well, it was very lucrative, yeah. Yeah. Very lucrative. They Selling people them. wanted slaves. Yeah. And they're, they're like, hey, well there's a whole slave trade. Yeah. I mean it's uh-huh. not it's not like you were saying, it's not like we actually were sitting there like, Oh well, you know, I think we'll go get some slaves today. You know, there were actually companies set uh-huh. up uh-huh. to do just this. Yeah, first of all, it yeah. wasn't us too, whenever we you know, it's right. not us and, and you know, the thing is this was part of culture. You know, whenever people said that they if I was born in uh, nineteen forty in Germany, I never would have been a Nazi. It's like, dude, you don't know because you weren't like you know you racism. There, racism right? is taught first of all, so it's yeah. like if you grow up believing that, then you don't know. Like you don't, you don't know anything know. else. You don't know what you don't know. Right. So right. that it was part of. It's been part of human culture forever. Right. Anywhere in the Bible you go, there's slaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you know, know, it's yeah. unfortunate, but you know the good thing about this country is you know we had people that were strong enough to literally fight and go to war. Americans, now, granted, white yes. people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, and I understand the fact that you know the whole secession point and everything. You know, I understand the reason we went to war because nobody wanted uh, the the southern uh, states to secede, but right. it was over. It was you know, in eighteen sixty, yeah. yeah, it was over in eighteen. You know, eighteen sixty. You know, I think mm-hmm. it was eighteen forty eight. The Republican mm-hmm. Party was started, and then you got Abraham Lincoln. You know, won in eighteen sixty, and you. You know, he went in, I think, March 4th of 1861. Getting rid of your slaves. Right. You know, and that that, uh-huh. that was his premise, you know. And, yeah, so. that's what, I mean, yeah, people can say whatever they want. They can have whatever heritage, you know, with the rebel flag, stuff like that. The Civil War was fought 100% over slavery. I mean, you can name it whatever you want. You right. can say states' rights to yeah, have slavery. That's it, yeah. You know, that, that's it. <laughs> you man. know, I mean, if you think about it, too, from their standpoint, they is totally destroying their economy is what they were saying. They were seeing, um, right. not, they weren't seeing it from the what's right so yeah it was a it was a it was a civil war for the heart and and the soul of this country and the right side won exactly mm-hmm. of course yeah. man and but in millions of americans uh-huh. you know soldiers or civilians they they went through some stuff that we never even know about over slavery and to eradicate slavery so for people to say that this is a racist country they have no idea what they're talking about yeah, I mean, uh, it's crazy, man. On, on on down to the article right here, it says, As far back as the mid-15th century, papal bulls granted Portugal the right to enslave sub-Saharan Africans, infidels in West Africa, and could be uh, reduced to perpetual slavery. Taken together, James Sweet writes in a paper on the topic, These papal bulls signaled mm-hmm. to the rest of the Christian Europe that the enslavement of sub-Saharan Africans was acceptable and encouraged. 
Across the Iberian Peninsula, he notes the word Negro basically became uh, to mean slave. This is a term and meaning were picked up by Northern Europeans. So it says uh, later on down in the article, it says Hannah Jones says that at the time of the American Revolution, one-fifth of the population within the 13 colonies struggled under a brutal system of slavery unlike anything that existed in the world before. Perhaps she means uh, implicitly to include the rest of the Americas in this condemnation because everywhere else in the Americas, Brazil, Cuba, and West Indies, etc., had a broadly similar system of slavery. Of course, if she wanted to be clear about this, she would have simply said it. Um... Peter Colgin uh, makes the point in this history, American slavery, 1619-1877, the southern United States represented the northernmost outpost excuse me, of this uh, plantation system, which reached its epogee of organizational development on the large sugar states of Jamaica, um, St. Domingue, later called Haiti, Cuba, and other Caribbean colonies, which brings me to another point. Do you think these slavery, uh, slavery guys were globalists, maybe? Hmm. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I heard somebody make this, um, you know, just talk about globalism now and America first and everything else. You know, these guys right here, you know, they had all these slaves in other countries. And, you know, they were probably getting from the from the same company. You yeah, know that, I watched some documentary. They, they go through the whole thing of the slave. I mean, it, it was, I mean, it's just buying and selling, you know. Um, I mean, it still goes on today. I mean, yeah, it's in, different. In Libya. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different. It served them, really. It yeah. served them. I mean, you know, he was talking about, you know, Russia. It's different name. It doesn't look exactly the same, Still but it is. pretty similar in some parts of China. Yeah. But. Well, yeah, especially, yeah, <laughs> if you even want to call them, sl yeah, I guess that's what you would call yeah. them. I mean, you're forcing yeah. them to labor, and, you know, people are so worried mm -hmm. about this. You don't hear the Uyghur, the Uyghurs don't have a voice yeah. at all. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of North Korean escapees are through slavery in China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go down um, uh, to the, uh, let's see here. If you want to go ahead, pick up uh, pick up on that paragraph right there. It says it's not to deny the brutality of slavery. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not to deny the brutality of slavery in colonial America to note what would seem to most observers the even more hideously inhumane nature of slavery in, say, Brazil and the Caribbean islands where slaves were literally worked to death and had to be constantly replenished by new imports. Uh, Brazil and the Caribbean, Colchin notes, were graveyards for Africans and their descendants. Jamaica, for example, imported a total of more than three-quarters of a million Africans, but at the time of the emancipation in 1834, its slave population stood at only 311,000. Hannah Jones would probably say to all of this, there you go, denying American exceptionalism again. No, the point is, counter to her and other critics of the American founding, that it wasn't slavery that set us apart. Both Brazil and the United States had slavery. Only one of them had the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Right. So, um, you know, that's that's the thing. Uh, it's it's unfortunate, you know, through history, um, as you were talking about earlier, um, Isaac, that they actually stopped slavery in other parts of parts of the world before we did, mm -hmm. you know, in those um, in those areas. They had something to sit around and think about. I mean, they again, they're not their country isn't on fire. That's what I'm saying. You know, they right. didn't, people, you know, in the United States, they had so many things to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, cutting their, con like, I mean, yes, get rid of slavery. I'm just saying, like, if you're trying to start a country, you're like, oh, well, no, let's cut our knees out from under, you know, because you already have an uh, economic system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of, I mean, and it has to involve the slaves. And, you know, the history of whenever the Emancipation Proclamation happened, now you have a bunch of people who don't have any way to sustain themselves because they were slaves. They were getting fed. Right. 
Now there's they don't. Like quarter acre and a mule, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I forgot how, many, how much it was. Whatever. I mean, whatever the situation is, like, how do you, how do you feed yourself now? You know, so you just destroy your economy, basically, no matter what, immediately. So, you know, you had to get some things in place first. So these other countries, like in England, they've already got an economy. They've got, you know, whatever. doesn't matter. What I'm saying is the United States, people need to give them more credit for right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the second bullet point is that they, uh, uh, this gentleman actually talks about is called smearing the revolution. It says, according to Hannah Jones, conveniently left out of our founding mythology is the fact that one of the primary reasons the, the colonists decided to declare their independence from Britain was because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery. This is preposterous. It isn't left out of our founding mythology because it's inconvenient, but because it's untrue. So the reference here, presumably, is uh, to the colonial uh, upset over the 1773 Somerset decision. In England, an historian, Alan Taylor, explains in his recent book, The American Revolution, an American slave owner took a slave to England and then tried to send him on to Jamaica. The slave, James Somerset, petitioned for his freedom. A British court ruled that slavery wasn't supported under um, the natural law and required an enactment of positive law. With no such law existing in Britain, Somerset was a free man. The colonists feared the consequence, but there is nothing in the writings of the revolutionaries to suggest that this episode ranked anywhere close to the importance uh, to their discontent. So pretty much what you got, you got a, you got a gentleman, I guess, that went over to England, and I guess uh, England, you know, I guess you couldn't have slaves at the time, and then so I guess he, the guy was smart enough to take it to a court and was like, hey, you know, I mean, I mean, good for him, you know what I'm saying? He, yeah. You know, so... They set up the, the Somerset, but um, I've already read this article, you know, quite a few times. Um, but it says right here, um, the point is worth emphasizing, by the way, uh, that it was royal policy at this time to oppose any colonial efforts to crimp the slave trade. King George III urged the royal government of Virginia upon the pain of highest displeasure to assent to no law by which the importation of slaves should be in any respect prohibited or obstructed. So it looks like you got... Uh, the the monarchy there, the king actually saying, "Nah, man, you got to keep the slaves going." Well, but, yeah. that, but the but the uh, the law system is saying, "No." That, well, this that's is not before the, way to go. the United States is set up. This is still under well, British rule. Yeah, yeah. This is actually. Um, well, this is this is after the emancipation in England. It's in, it's, yeah, it's in, in seventeen. England. It's in seventeen seventy three. Yeah. So okay. I mean, we still yeah, haven't broken off yet. Yeah, right, we still haven't right. broken off yet. So you actually see that over in Europe. They, you know, they, they were having problems. Yeah, of course, they're making yeah. a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, well, that's the difference. You got, you know, the people, you know, in the courts, and then you got the monarchy, actually, I guess, going at each other, saying, you know, King George is like, hey, you know, let's keep the slave thing going, but the yeah, courts. As long as, we're, as long as we don't see it, it's okay. Right. As long as over there across yeah, the pond right, yeah. there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, um, and then it says down here, it says, that, as it happens, the logic of the Somerset decision in the absence of the positive enactment, the natural state is freedom eventually proved enormously useful to the abolitionists in the United States. James Oakes writes in Freedom National, Somerset became the benchmark for all subsequent efforts to end slavery by political means, as it should, mm -hmm. as it should. So um, so you got uh, distorting the Constitution. This is bullet point three. Um, it says, uh, understandably, Hannah Jones spends a lot of time on the compromises related to slavery at the Constitutional Convention. The Constitution, she writes, protected the property of those who enslaved black people. This one right here, it kind of, this uh, bullet point right here, it kind of gets a little technical, but it's actually wordage. Um, and it's kind of, it's well, almost like the, it's almost like the most moot point 
Um, well, yeah, of this. <clears throat> that's that's what people say is you know, it gave rights to white people. It didn't give any rights to black people. Right. And that's I mean. Well, I mean, it, that, that's what I'm saying. It's 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 almost legalese right here. So we'll get into this. You know, it says um, you know the Constitution should rights protected the property of those who uh, um, of those who enslave black people. This is shamefully dishonest. With a quote marks around property, she emphasizes um, 250 years later that the work of the founders who specifically insisted on excluding the word in any reference to, save, to slavery. The Constitution refers to slaves not as property, but as persons held in service. Subtle distinction, although one with prof profound implications. It says that James Oakes recounts, during the deliberations, Roger Sherman opposed attacks on slave imports because it implied that they were property. James Madison took Sherman's side, elaborating in his notes from the convention that he believed it wrong to admit in the Constitution the idea that there could be property in men, he added. Slaves are not like merchandise consumed. Uh, Sean Wallace explains in his appropriately titled book, No Property in Men, that the convention took care to ensure that while the Constitution would accept slavery where it already existed, it would not validate slavery in national law. That's what I was going to say. Is like People who, who you know had been freed, though, then, right. However, difficult, however difficult their lot in life was, you know, they still then they still had the same rights. And I mean, you know, in any other any other human situation or civil in civilization, that was the same situation. It's like if you were slave, you were born into slavery, whatever. But yeah, it's then almost if like, you a, been, like a caste system. Almost. Yeah, and and they yeah. knew that you know if you've been freed, then you're it's different. You're, yeah, and I mean, it still wouldn't be easy, you know. I'm sure, but yeah. So you know. You, um, one of the um, on down, you got the Constitution. That is good. I've never thought about that. That they don't, you know, in the right. Constitution, they never really, they never address slavery specifically because they didn't right. want it to be part of the. Well, I mean, you've got, you know, all men are create, created equal. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? They say it, it's referred to as persons held in service. So they're recognizing right. that they are people, and the Constitution right. does address people. So yeah. technically, it. They are right, protected and that's and, and honestly, honestly, They're I will. I, I, I will say, I will say this. I do agree with uh, in the um, sixteen nineteen project. She actually talks about the hypocrisy of uh, the Constitution. Hypocrisy. Well, right? yeah, I mean, because mm -hmm. the fact that we actually it actually <laughs> says, you know, uh, all men are created equal under God, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, and they were actually trying to free themselves from England. Mm -hmm. While they were actually holding slaves, so I actually agree. I agree with her on that thought process. Well, that's what I'm saying. They would destroy their economy, right? Or... But, but but just but just like anybody, any the revisionists, like we were talking about, they actually want to take a, a point and, and manipulate it and twist it to the point to where it actually takes away from the whole, like a thirty thousand foot view. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, and you know that's what she does with that. Also, too, people forget that each one of these states was very independent. Like each one of these states, they, I mean, if you, if you go back and read the Federalist Papers, um, it's literally a bunch of countries, like how the yeah, United States right. is supposed to be, right. a bunch of countries, and they're in a federation to protect themselves, and if you're start, if you're going around, because, you know, the northern states didn't have a lot of slaves, the southerns right. did, so it's like, you're trying to get everyone to fight together, you're probably not going to go around telling everyone, hey, you got to free your slaves, and, but they did such good wordage in the Constitution, um, that... Everything could be, I mean, as America progressed, they allowed it. I mean, it's just such yeah, li I mean, linguistical. Well, yeah. yeah. It was like back in, in the Greek days, you always doing city-states. Like yeah, right. City-states. You have to get the Athens and the Spartans to work together. You're going to have right. to have some, some sort of yes. document that they can all agree well, on. Well, you know, I mean, you work. know, the federal government was actually, you know, I, I guess brought up, you know, by the states. That's another uh -huh. thing that most people forget. The only reason that the federal government actually exists is because the mm -hmm. states actually 
allowed them to yeah. exist. It's in in yeah. the Federalist paper they talk about the Achaean League, which is where you're talking about the Athens and Spartans. Right. Um, you know, and they had to fight together. They didn't like each other, right. but again, to protect ourselves for against England, you know, you have to work together. And then, and then you know, once you get it stabilized, then you can yeah. all your other stuff. Right, right. You know, so um, back to the article. You know, you got John Quincy Adams. He's actually before the Supreme Court here in a famous the Amistad case. It says the Constitution of the United States recognizes the slaves held within some of the, the states of the unions only in their capacity of persons. Persons held to labor or service in a state under under the laws thereof. Persons constituting elements or representation in the popular branch of the national legislature. Persons the migration or importation excuse me importation of whom should not be prohibited by Congress prior to the year 1808. The Constitution. Nowhere recognizes them as property. The words slave and slavery are studiously ex excluded from the Constitution. Um, uh, circumlocu uh, circumlocution, excuse me, are the fig leaves under which uh, these parts of the body politic are decently concealed. Slaves, therefore, in the Constitution of the United States are recognized only as persons enjoying rights and held to the performance of duties. So, I mean... Yeah, there goes you know there they go with the legalese again. You know what I'm saying? But they did a good job. You know the importation is like it's kind of like how they kind of try to phase out cigarettes. It's right. like they, right. you well, did, you, if you just say that the right. if you say it's illegal well, immediately, then that's the thing. That's the thing about uh, about you know the federal government or a republic is you know you incrementally phase out things. So that's mm -hmm. that's what they were trying to do. Well, yeah, and then the Constitution, you know? all men, and then it's like, okay, so now whenever we start thinking about it more, it's like, oh wait, these guys are men too. Yeah. Right. You know, Unfortunately, the yeah. United States has never lived up to Constitution. No, no. Yeah. It's a, it's a, but it is. We are a country yeah. of laws. Yeah. And we have to, we have to do our best because uh -huh. we're. Right. I, I say that you know well, we're people aren't perfect, but principles are. Uh -huh. Let's let's yeah, think right. about that thought for a second, though, Isaac. That's actually a really good point. But the simple fact of the matter. I'm glad that we have this document that's over mm -hmm. 250 years old. The simple fact of the matter, we can't actually get there, actually just shows the importance of that document. And yeah. we've been actually fighting to uh -huh. get there the whole time. And it gives us something to strive for. You know what right. I'm saying? You don't want to but get it's complacent. a moral. It's a moral thing. It's a spiritual thing. Right. And that, you know, people try to apply more and more right. government to it. You know, George Washington says that, you know, the, yeah. this country, I don't, not verbatim, this country doesn't work unless you have people who are moral. Right. You know, and we the thing of, you know, if we were all angels. Well, yeah. you know, you got John Adams, you know, he, he spoke about Christianity. You got John. They're uh, all Christian. John Quincy Adams, which, which was his son, spoke about Christianity. George Washington spoke about it. You know, so there's a lot of our founding fathers. A lot of people don't believe that our founding fathers were Christians. But, I mean, uh, I actually listened to a, a gentleman the other day. Um, history is like his thing. I, I'm not exactly sure what he does, but he actually spoke at the church that I was at. And he was actually uh, just nailing off these quotes, mm -hmm. you know, that John Quincy Adams and John Adams and uh, uh, all these historical figures would actually wrote down in their journals and stuff like mm -hmm. that regarding Christianity and, and the moral um And, you know, people, if you go back to the Bible, Jesus never talks about setting your slaves free. So... It's more of loving people, and every there were slaves in the Bible. It's not again. People have to get out of the culture thing. It's like a it's a mentality. It's like we were never we've never been in a place where slaves slaves were a thing. So they that was everyday existence. So it's just it's just something we can't even conceive. The last hundred years or so yeah. is an anomaly in world history. Yeah, it really is. Mm -hmm. Every yeah. other point in history has been dark and gloomy. Right, basically. But guess who's leading the way? 
That'd yeah. be us. Yeah. You know? right, in the in the light, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So uh next bullet point uh against the sixteen nineteen project, misrepresenting the founding era. Uh Matt, you wanna take that one? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> in her rendering, Hannah Jones skips uh skips from America's independence to the hardening of the racial caste system. She thus exercises the liberalization of the slave regime that attended the revolution because it too is inconvenient to her narrative. The liberalization wasn't a minor phenomenon. It was a key element of the revolutionary period driven by the obvious tension between the founders ringing calls for liberty and their worry that the British wanted to reduce them to slaves and the slave system itself. Colchin writes, the revolutionary era witnessed the first major challenge to American slavery. Almost overnight, it seemed, an institution that had long been taken for granted came under intense scrutiny and debate. Critics questioned its efficacy and morality. Proponents rushed to its defense, and thousands of slaves took advantage of wartime turmoil to flee their bondage. Tangible results of this challenge included the abolition of slavery in the North, a sharp increase in the number of free blacks in the Upper South, and the ending of the American slave trade. Uh, it says, uh, Vermont began a gradual abolition in 1777 with Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey following suit between eight, or 1780 and 1804. Well, imagine that. Yeah. Um, and how, and how, um, and can, or how can any remotely honest account of American, or America and slavery leave these acts out and not even mention them in the clause or parenthetically? Sean Willens calls it, to that point, the largest emancipation in modern history and crucial departure from all later anti-slavery activity would follow. So that's before anyone else is doing releasing slaves. Because in England, it happened in the 1800s. This well, is talking about in, seven, in the 1700s, in the late 1700s. Well, I mean, that's, that's the whole point that, that I wanted to get to earlier is like ever since the actual birth of this nation, since the Declaration of Independence, people have been fighting against slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a, it's unfortunate that in different it, states too. It wasn't just. I yeah, mean, these people. Are I mean, doing it in well, different places. I mean, you know, it was it was something that that's always been fought against. You know, and, and from from an American, uh, as an American institution or American standpoint, because we all know it's not right. You know, so our founders, you know, were actually well. Hey, you know, we got this going on, so people are actually starting to look at it. So you you know, like we said in 1777, we got states actually fighting against it. Mm-hmm. And and also too, the whole thing about the, the um, 1619 project, that is the right name, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just it doesn't have any actual correlation to history, so um, or real reality. But anyway, um, the whole thing about that is it's also critical race theory into it. So everything about everything in U.S. history. Is it's going racist. to be turned, it's right. going to be like every point about anything is going to be looked at from a standpoint of slavery. Right. And then looked at it from the standpoint of oppression to black people. Every single thing right. in history, that's that's the difference too. It's not just rewriting your history like when you started. It's rewriting every single moment in history from a standpoint of, yeah, they did that because they're racist. Every single thing. And that's what people are missing. That's going to be in their kids' textbooks. That's what they're learning. They're learning that every single Every moment in U.S. history has to do with oppression of black people. And it's not something that's obvious in this version of critical theory, but obviously going back to Marxism, everything was classified by economic class. Mm -hmm. And Marx was one of the first philosophers during that time to 
turn from the classical Western tradition of individualism and and essentially being your free will, having the ability to create your own path in life, and instead your environment shapes you. So right. that was in the class form in this case. In this case, it's race. So right. from their viewpoint, you can look at it as this is the only way to interpret past because you're you're created within the system. You're you're not an individual actor making your own decisions necessarily. You are you are uh, imbued in this collective mindset that where your environment shapes you all the time it's not the same choice it's saying it's not you don't have a spirit in there uh with free will and and where you can critically think through things you're a byproduct of your environment of your teachers and of your race in their view that that's the critical piece that's mm -hmm. the foundational piece of how, how you look but that but that in but that in itself that that thought that idea process or that thought uh, process is is a form of oppression any, oh yeah, you know what I'm saying. Right, and you know that. I mean, that's just a form of oppression too. So I mean, you know, and, and it, I don't. They don't know that. Right. They don't. See well, it. I mean, but but when you get when you get to people like Marxism and stuff like that, you know, you had the bourgeois, the bourgeois elite, and then you had the proletariat. Right. You know, I mean, but uh, it has to be forced on people. You know, and that's that's the thing. If something actually works, it doesn't have to be forced. It should be natural. You know what I'm saying? People should actually want well, it. Well, you get enough, you force enough, or uh, you know, a few people, and then everyone else naturally will go. <laughs> Well, along with it. yeah, yeah, but you know, that's... But once you storm the Kremlin and you kind of take control yeah. of the government, yeah. then they didn't you, have, you have to see the power. No there, going so. back on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you... And then you kill the whole Romanov family, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. executed no, Well, I mean, you know, I understand that, but, you know, it's, it's just, at least in capitalism, you know, you actually have a, a chance of actually bettering yourself. You know, there's a yeah, it's um, a supply and demand, I talk, yeah, sacrifice, I talk, and yeah, I talked to uh, Natalia, the lady that we had on from Russia. There's a big, um, I don't know, I guess it's like a story that comes from Russia, and it's about a command economy, and where it's where they had uh, at the beginning of uh, the revolution. You know, um, they actually had pharmacists, you know, who were told to be farmers. Yeah, they and, just send yeah, people wherever. And, and they the thing needed. about it is, it was the rural people, the farmers that were actually fighting against them. So they actually went out and killed them. And they're like, "Oh, well, we need farmers now." Yeah, and no so, one knows how to do this. Yeah, and the thing about it is, they actually, yeah, there's a story where they actually made a pharmacist. Oh, you, well, you're a farmer now. Yeah. And huh. guess what? They couldn't do it, and millions of people died of starvation. Uh huh. You yeah. know, so I mean, that that's what happens. The same thing has happened in China and uh, Cambodia with right. with their Maoism, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, right. they send they'll just make people move places, and uh, oh, you do this now. I'm like, bro, I don't. Right. <laughs> So, uh, but uh, those are good points. But uh, back to the article, it says, uh, culture recounts other elements of uh, the liberalizing, liberalizing tendency. In 1776, the Second Continental Congress passed a resolution opposing slave imports. And around this time, several states banned the Virginia, Maryland, and Delaware, loosened restrictions on manumission. And Congress in 1784 came within one vote of prohibiting slavery in the Western territories. It appeared for a while, Colchin writes. In 1776. Very, yeah, it, it appears... Um, the very survival of slavery in the new nation was threatened. Of course, it wouldn't be. There was backsliding in the South that grew worse over time. In the antebellum period, a more uh, aggressive, positive defense of slavery arose in the accompanying tightening of slave laws, both of which foreshadowed the Civil War. The secession of the, uh, the South spoke indeed of a distinctly American element in the story of modern slavery as culture and rights. Nowhere else did the defense of slavery turn into a, a veritable pro-slavery crusade 
as it did in the United States. Nowhere else did slave owners refuse to accept emancipation and go to war to preserve their interests. In their hour of crisis, masters elsewhere grumbled, uh, growls, and dragged their heels, but ultimately they reluctantly went along with the decision taken by central governments to convert to free labor. In the southern United States, slaveholders determined that they would rather fight than switched. This proved to be ultimate undoing to slavery, exactly because an anti-slavery North, um, the uh, predicates of which Hannah Jones um, elides or distorts, was prepared to resist. So, I mean, like like we've said multiple times, you know, ever since uh, you know 1776, the Declaration of Independence, you know, there's there's been a faction of people here in this country that knew slavery was wrong. And was pushing against it mm -hmm. on, on, you know, I mean, like I'm saying to the point to where, you know, you're going to go to war, you know, yeah. I mean, and these guys, man, they were doing like skirmish lines. I'm talking mm -hmm. getting 7,500 yards from people yeah. pointing guns at you, shooting at you, knowing you're going to get hit. You, know, you know, what's crazy too, though, is, um, it goes back to a lot of people actually had a lot of faith back then. Oh yeah, you know, compared to now, it's like no one wants to get hurt standing up for things. Yeah. But back yeah. then, people sacrificed their life because they knew that they're. I mean, first of all, people didn't have it easy. Like people had it yeah. really rough. Uh -huh. Like oh, sure. people were dying from disease, and I mean, barely. People are literally just happy to be alive enough and have enough to eat and just be married, have 60. kids. Exactly. Yeah. They were all roughing it, whoever you were, unless you were just a rich person, of course. But. Even them, compared Even to what them, we have yeah, now. Yeah, um, the, worst, uh -huh. the worst person, you know, the poorest person in this country now has it better than, I'm going to say, like Rockefeller did, like in the early 1900s. Yeah. You're, uh -huh. you're like a god uh -huh. now. You can just press a button on your phone and yeah. communicate with someone in China. Like, you know, really? I mean, uh -huh. Rockefeller back then, they didn't have air conditioning. You know, exactly. Uh -huh. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But, the Vanderbilt Mansion's great, but yeah, yeah. I decided and realized, eh. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'd rather have my life. Uh -huh. um, yeah, exactly. But, so whenever people were willing to lay their lives on the line, like... They knew that they're going somewhere else, you know, that they knew that they, they, what they were fighting for was worth, um, you know, sacrificing their, their body. Cause this is only a brief existence. And that's, you know, a lot of people lose sight on that too. It's like the, the, you know, right. Today, right. it's easy to lose well, sight today. That, yeah, well, I mean, I think um, that, that's a great point, man. You know, everybody's just worried, you know, we are in this consuming economy, you know, consumption. That's the only thing that's our God, you know what I'm saying? It is. You know, and it's unfortunate, you know, it's unfortunate because I think that's the, that's the major problem that we have in the society. Because otherwise, yeah, if if everyone was, yeah. you know, focused on their, their soul, right. then no one would be, have, you know, no one would be people, telling everyone that they're racist. People would and, be acting a whole lot differently. Every, every idle word you have to you have to have an account for. Mm -hmm. So I mean, you know, there you go. I think this next bullet point is actually one of the most <clears throat> uh, important, though, and it actually brings the political uh, aspects this into life. Hannah Jones already. Yeah. Uh, Hannah Jones treats at some length Lincoln's notorious August 1862 meeting with the prominent free blacks in the White House. In keeping with his longtime support of colonization, the president lectured them on the need for blacks to remove themselves from the country. Your race suffers very greatly, many of them by living among us, while, our, while ours suffers from your presence, he said. In a word, we suffer on each side. He noted that Congress had appropriated funding to transport blacks to a colony. Um, all true enough, but consider once again what Hannah Jones leaves out. 
She mentions that Lincoln was considering issuing the Emancipation Proclamation at this time, but she ignores the plausible interpretation of various Lincoln scholars that the meeting was a public relations feint um, meant to soften political opposition in the Union to emancipation. As Oakes relates, Lincoln was high was high-handed and uninterested in the views of his guests, a contrast to his respectful treatment of other black leaders. He put a heavy emphasis in the meeting on the gap between the races when usually he belittled racial differences. He invited a reporter to record the proceedings, a departure from his usual practice, to ensure that his comments appeared instantly in the newspapers. Colonization was a common way for opponents of slavery to try make their views more palatable to prejudice public opinion. It would have been better, of course, if he hadn't been, if, if this hadn't been necessary, but the abolitionists and other opponents of slavery were trying to make gains in the 19th century America as it existed. That's kind of going back to what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lincoln continued to pursue colonization until a small experiment failed miserably. Sometime in 1864, he dropped the idea by the end of the war. Um, he was talking about limited black suffrage. So he's talking about black people voting. Um, as for his dealings with black leaders, it does for him, it does him a profound disservice to neglect his relationship with Frederick, Frederick Douglass. In 1864, in the second meeting together at the White House, Lincoln worried that he might lose his reelection and the Democrats would negotiate a peace that kept blacks enslaved in the South. Convinced that blacks once freed couldn't be re-enslaved, he asked Douglass to find a way to further spread the word of emancipation in the South and get as many slaves to the Union line as possible. After Lincoln's second inaugural, Douglas joined the procession to visit the president at the reception at the White House, even though a black man had never been part of such a gathering. Detained at the gate, he asked an acquaintance to tell Lincoln he was there. Swiftly admitted, Lincoln told the crowd, here comes my friend Douglas, and insisted on hearing Douglas's opinion of his speech, Mr. Lincoln. That was a sacred effort. In a eulogy of Lincoln that Douglas delivered at the Cooper Institute, he described Lincoln as emphatically the black man's president. He was the first of the er, he was the first of the long line to show any respect to the rights of the black man or to acknowledge that he had any rights the white man ought to respect. There was agreement on this, by the way, from the other side of the divide in the north. A uh, copperhead attack on Lincoln the year before had put it Almost exactly the same, in exact same term. Just so you guys know, the Copperheads were a group of Northern Democrats that actually did not want the country to go to war. So they weren't, yeah, so just, I thought that was really weird, so I looked that up so everybody would know. I was like, he got bit by a Copperhead? What happened, man? <laughs> yeah, I was like, like you, zig, you zig when you should have zagged, bro. No. This is, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, <clears throat> when did we ever have a president that made so much of the Negro or was willing to take him? into his private and social cir- circles as Abraham Lincoln does. Mr. Lincoln is emphatically the black man's president and the white man's curse. What act has the president ever done in his official capacity? Trace it out to its legitimate ends that has been beneficial to our country or to the white man. Not one, and we defy uh, contradiction. Uh, now we're going to get the other side of it. Well, you know, she, uh, Hannah Jones just apparently, she, she begs to differ. I mean, she thinks that uh, Lincoln was not for the black man, you know, but you guys can actually go read that article. It says, um, uh, to reiterate, none of this is to deny America's uh, considerable, considerable sins, which means, you know, um, that's definitely slavery. 
The reality of our shortcomings is bad enough that no one focusing on slavery or racial discrimination should feel compelled to distort the record. The lines of Samuel Huntington are apt. Critics say that America is a lie because it reality because reality falls so short of its ideals, which is exactly what you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. because we have not lived up to the Constitution. It's a very good point, Isaac. They are wrong. America is not a lie. It's a disappointment, <clears throat> but it can be a disappointment only because it also has hope because we haven't given up. We've made such strides. We've made such strides as, as a country to uh, you know, give people freedom and to give them a way to improve themselves, everybody. The only place in the world exactly. that's ever happened. And what trips me out is, uh, you know, you've got people willing to come here illegally, you know. And yeah, because they have a better life here illegally, being yeah. off the rack. Yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, if this is such a terrible place, uh-huh. why are they coming here illegally? And these are... Many of them right now are from South America or, or Central America, which means they are, according to the left, they're part of the marginalized underdogs, and they're moving out of somewhere where everyone looks like them to a place where, according to the left, they are the oppressed ones. Why, right. are they, why would they? Why would they? I mean, country? it's a lateral move. Yeah. Like, you know no, what I'm it's saying? It's actually a downward move because you're moving into. In I guess view, yeah. That is the yeah. that is the critical divide is white and non-white. Yeah. And so they're moving into an area where it's dominated in their view by whites. From one where it's not. Good it's point. It's that's, a very, that's a very good point. Most of those people also have conservative, like Latin America yeah, has yeah. conservative values. Yeah, they're they're just, a lot of them are tricked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, vote All for right, the Democrats. So, yeah, so, so back to the article. This gets uh, at the crux of the matter. The American past has had its share of both hypocrisy and nobility. Truthfulness demands that we acknowledge both. Americans were hypocrites in extolling the liberty and grounding our national identity to a significant extent in it, while at the same time tolerating or even embracing slavery. I do agree with that. But over time, the principles and rhetoric of freedom proved powerful tools against slavery. The stakes in getting this right are large. If they succeed in making America only about the hypocrisy, the architects of the 1619 Project will deny the country's nobility to the rising generation. They will have made America, in Huntington's terms, a lie pure and simple and enshrined their own hostile, mythologized account of our history. In which they can only spread their, their lies in a place where people are not persecuted for the things that they... I mean, we're going to forget about every other aspect of the of the Constitution also, right? So, right. you know, uh, you know, Bill of Rights, you know, forget all that, you know, because well, that's not important. That's a very good point because we were actually talking about that before. Just, okay, so let's think about this for a second. Let's, let's say the 1619 Project, it is what has changed to actual the beginning. Let's just say, for instance, which I don't think it will ever be, but let's say you take away the Constitution, okay? So you got the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, which a war was actually fought, you know, to free slavery, and those are considered the the, the slave, the slavery time amendments to the Constitution. You wouldn't have those. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So think about this for a second. You wouldn't have the Second Amendment. And, and it's just like I asked Isaac earlier. Think about this for a second. If, if slaves in America could own a gun, would they have been slaves? No. I would say, I, I say that's a big goose egg on that one. So, I mean, you know, I don't think you... We'll never know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not getting rid of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's know. what I said. I was like, we can do whatever, but you're not taking my guns. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, you know, the thing about it, so, I mean, you know, if they actually take and yeah, change... Yeah, think about that. Yeah, no other... There's. I was listening right. to someone talk. They were saying, what other place on earth... There's no other place on earth, maybe except for Switzerland, I, I think, that if you go into someone else's home, you even think about the, you, the fact that you might get shot. Except for the United States. That's the only place, except for Switzerland. It's like tap on the wrist. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, the only places where you have guns. And, Uh and, you know, the reason is that, or the, I mean, the reason that the government just doesn't go in and take whatever they want or do whatever is because they might get shot. Okay. Now, let's take that point. Let's take that point right there. 
And let's say, let's look at it now. You know, coming to today, who's trying to take your guns away? The same people who had slaves. Same political party. <laughs> I haven't done full circle on that before. That's funny. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, it's true. It, yeah, yeah. Well, people, people, the problem that people do, too, is they attribute the... Um, you know, the civil rights movement to the Democrats. And that was all, we saw what happened to someone who's trying to do civil rights, that he got shot. That's yeah. what happened. He came in, no one knew that he was going to do that. No one knew in the Democratic Party, he wooed them, and then he got in there, and they was like, hey guys, we're going to switch this around, we're going to give some civil rights to people. Right. And then he got killed. Yeah. And then, because they couldn't go back on it, Right. Uh -huh. Lyndon B. Johnson, he pushed it through. Pushed it through. And yeah. then now they switch, everyone's like, no, we're the party of, of civil rights no you weren't bro you killed it like yeah. you guys killed the guy who's for civil rights and then you just uh, -huh. uh... And, and, and actually and that, that's another thing that's because funny because i was reading an article today i was actually trying to do some research but dinesh d'souza already proved this they talk about the great switch that happened during the 50s and 60s that's what happened yeah well i mean dinesh d'souza i mean in one of his um uh documentaries actually did some very good work on this and it's very few very few have actually switched and from and on a federal level. What do you mean? In, in history. From, from you know, the, the switch, the great switch where all the Democrats became Republicans. Mm -hmm. That's just, just not, that's just not true. Mm. You know, I think, uh, I think uh, back in 2016, I believe, or 2015 when his documentary come out, I think he said it was, uh, it was less than 10, I believe, that actually had switched. Well, you on know, a federal and, level. and a lot of people too, they are still, they cling to, you know, old school democrat like bro you shouldn't be old school democrat what's good about old school democrat i mean you know, that's the party that Klu, yeah. ku klux klan yeah you know yeah it's a party of slavery but then the, the only the only way that they can justify it though is because of civil rights that's literally the only way but it's like you guys realize that not one democrat what? suggested any civil rights yeah. bill is not Just women's suffrage allies themselves with yeah. parties or people ideas yeah principles. right right yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. and, and I, they're just uneducated people and they don't want their, they, they're, a lot of them are tied to their lineage. They're like, don't call my ancestors racist, stuff like that. And it's the same people who fly, you know, rebel flags. They don't understand the history. You know, you wouldn't be doing that if you cared about your black neighbor. I mean, honestly. Yeah. You know, I understand yeah. your sons of the Confederacy. That's fine. Your heritage and your, you know, opposing the federal government, which, you know, I oppose the federal government too. <laughs> but... You know, we were missing the point of right, why, right. why it happened. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, man, you, you can't. I, I can't. I can't. Like I said, I, I in the in the past, I can't support any ideology that is going to judge someone on the color of their skin. Right. You know, or give or make them stigmatized uh, because of their melanin content. You know, well, I'm, I mean, I'm you always, you still hear the argument. Oh, well, it was over states' rights again. Uh, well, yeah. States' rights to do what? Have slavery. Have slavery. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that is a state right. Yeah, but. Nah, man. That's the that was the one. <laughs> nah, man. You know, and it, that's, that's a cultural problem that we got today, man. You know, it's it's weird. It's like we're going, we're regressing as a society, yeah. Yeah. and it trips me out. Well, it's you know, a lot of people are not going to change their ideology because, again, you're telling them that their family's racist. They can't take that, or it, mm -hmm, it, right. you know, it's not that they're bad. They might not have been necessarily bad people. You're again, you're taught racism. A you're lot taught of people it. Just don't think okay. about it. Like we have a lot of people who are pro-abortion in, in this nation right now, and they just don't think about it. Well, yeah, there's and over six hundred. Later, fifty years down the road, we'll have woken up and realized, okay, this is a bad thing. In hindsight, we'll say, how did half the why why is half the country evil? But 
most people just it doesn't don't mean yeah, it doesn't mean they're evil yeah right. they just haven't thought like, haven't like what you're saying it. they just haven't Which thought they about should. it that's a problem but yeah right they just no yeah, yeah they, they it's something that you can go and get done in your spare time uh-huh. uh you know there's over 600 over 600,000 babies are killed every year in legal abortions that's in the clinic that's not the ones that take the plan b pill or the ones who do you know um stuff outpatient um that's just the legal documented ones yeah. that are surgical in office right. mm-hmm. six hundred thousand yeah every yeah. over six it's like six i don't want to give a, a false number but it's like 600 and whatever that was in 2016 mm-hmm. um <clears throat> and it, you know however large that number is for abortions that you know again the plan b pill and uh stuff like that mm-hmm. um yeah and we're worried about covid <laughs> yeah. you just killed six hundred thousand americans Every year. Hopefully, in hindsight, yeah. this will be seen as I think yeah. currently uh, top world leaders that killed the most people is Mao, Stalin, and Hitler. Mm-hmm. And yeah. hopefully, if people wake up, then this abortion yeah. will be over. The, well, in the list. in the twentieth century, you know what entities actually killed more people than anything? Government. Government. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, you know that that's uh-huh. that's the truth. But uh, the reason that they haven't been able to do that in the United States is we have guns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. You know that's why Mao was able to do what he did <sighs> because. Um, you know, the people that didn't have arms. Well, you mean, give them arms to do what you want. Well, I mean, what did he say about democracy? What did he say verbatim about democracy? He comes out of the barrel of a gun. That's mm-hmm. what he said. That's a quote from Mao. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, and people have to, you know, that's the thing is people have to be able to, it's just, it's just, you don't have to ever shoot anybody. You don't ever have to shoot a shoot your gun. Mm-hmm. You can get a shotgun and you can be a terrible shot with it. You know that <laughs> one end will go boom. And But, but the point of having it is, you know, everybody else knows that and goes, yeah, too, so yeah, exactly. Way. So yeah. if someone tries to then come to you and force upon you their will, right. regardless of who it is, whether it's another person or if it's your government, they're less likely to do it, especially mm-hmm. whenever you have, I mean, cause once they get shot with that, I mean, they're not coming back, <laughs> you know? And, um, right. and it's so basic. It's not like you can really, so, you know, it's not, mm-hmm. um, it's timeless. So let's, uh, hopefully you got, uh, you got that one article pulled up. I'll give you two more regarding, uh, Miss Hannah Jones. So, um, so this, this, these two articles actually come out. Uh, do we have the one pulled up where she actually refused? She's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Yeah, I was surprised about how little information was in that article. Yeah, she doesn't give any. Well, she, I'm sure she doesn't. Statements, not very many. She's no, that's what they do for news anymore. It's uh, pundits, it's pundits, and then no actual news. Right. So, well, what what happened was uh, she actually, um, well, she actually was going to do legal action uh, against UNC because she didn't get tenure for her, her job. Which they uh, gave her, I guess, a contract for five years, and then they would actually look at renewing it then. But anybody who's actually gotten um, that job before her, it's a night's chair position. Position it actually comes with tenure. So she was saying that the um, university was being racist against her. But here's 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 the point. Uh, and and you know she actually, but but before. Um, before uh, she actually took legal action, there's an article that came out yesterday. I actually sent it to you guys. She actually uh, refused the position. What is the name of that? Because it didn't come through. Uh, it's actually in your, it's in your phone. Let's see here. Da, 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 da. Just Google the title. 
Yeah, just just look up Hannah Jones refuses tenure position. Just look that up. But anyway, so let's let's think about. this the court right mm -hmm. so and then you know doing all this to get her tenured position why do you think that she did not want to go f to go through with it well let's see what it says down okay. further that's fine what does it say uh, well it's excellent excellent press for her for one thing one thing so, let's scroll down so scroll down let's, yeah. let's read it okay. uh it says Pulitzer Prize winner journalist Nicole Hannah Johns has turned down a tenure offer from the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and will instead accept a position at Howard University of course the historically black institute in Washington DC she made the announcement Tuesday in the interview on CBS this morning telling host Gail King that she decided to decline the offer to t of tenure from UNC her alma mater it was a difficult decision, not a decision I wanted to make, Anna Jones said. Instead, I'm going to be the inaugural night chair in race and journalism at Howard University. Okay. Uh, she will join... Oh, gosh. Acclaimed writer, Tineshi Coates. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. You know, I bought the... Um, unfortunately, I bought the Captain America uh, uh, copy that had um, Jordan Peterson yes, as the Red Skull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't opened it, but yeah, they make him basically Satan. Oh, uh, really? But yeah, they uh -huh. turn it to everything that he stands for, uh, conservative values and telling the truth. Wow. But yeah, he's yeah he's the guy, they have him writing Marvel, Marvel stuff, and that's why all these Marvel movies, like they mm -hmm. used to be awesome, you know, they're all communist. They're all, they're all telling you that everyone's racist. And I mean, even if you watch the Falcon and the winter, the winter soldier, um, you know, I got to episode three before it was like too much. It's like, oh my gosh. Okay. Captain America, you know, he's, they they made him black now. And oh, then okay. also, I haven't watched anything after Endgame, so I don't know. What's yeah. Happening. So exactly. So Captain America has gone. They have to find a new one. They make the Falcon cap or in the comic books, they make the Falcon Captain America. I don't, I, again, I haven't watched past it. It's just like so much like, oh, you know, because of racism and they have to have a whole episode dedicated to, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, dude, this is a kid's show or like, this is for kids. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to totally make this po political. It's the same, mm -hmm. it's the same thing in every mm -hmm. single thing that's Hollywood now because of communist China. It's uh, a re-education effort. People don't think about it. They're re-educating mm -hmm. your kids through freaking cartoons. Yeah. They don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So, this is why you should homeschool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. the, this, or private uh, schools. Private schools fine. Too. Or private. Well, yeah. It depends on what they teach. Yeah. But like the Tanishi Coates, yeah, he's literally the comic book writer <laughs> for Captain America. Yeah. And he's racist. So it says he'll be a faculty member at the flagship College of Arts and Sciences, and Hannah Jones will be a tenured faculty member at the Kathy Hughes School of Communications. She will also be the founder of the Center for Journalism and Democracy, which will help train and equip aspiring journalists with investigative skills and historical and analytical expertise needed to cover the crisis our democracy is facing, the school said. So basically, we know that if you want your kids to be racist, send them to Howard University. Well, you know, here, here's the thing. So... This is just this is just my opinion. This is speculation, guys. So you know, she actually went and was getting in, got a law team, and was actually going to go after UNC, right? And then she backed away. So tenure so for people who don't know, tenure means that right. you you're guaranteed pay until you retire, no matter what right. you say or do. 
So let's 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 just say we just read an article that actually disputed her points rather effectively, I thought. So let's say you get that with a bunch of historians on the defensive side from UNC and actually pick her paper apart. Do you think that she she's willing to do that? You think that she stood down just because that's, she didn't want that's her? That's just my opinion. Well, I mean, you know. That's just my opinion, but it makes sense. The, I well, they can't debate. That's the problem is these people on the left cannot debate facts. They can't. That's why they don't yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. You well, know, anytime that anytime yeah. there's facts anywhere, you got to run away because, you know, like Ben Shapiro says, you know, my facts don't care about your feelings. And that's why everything that they say is feelings. Well, you got to right. call names first, then run away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you call <laughs> names, yeah, and then you hide and you say yeah. they're racist. So, I mean, like I'm saying, that's just my <clears throat> opinion. But, hey, uh-huh. if, if I, I was actually writing something, you know, that was supposed to be, in, you know, changing the history of our country, and then I was going to have to go to court to actually prove it. And uh, I've got a bunch of people actually debating debating my information with, you know, quotes and, and facts and everything else. But, I'd probably step away from but that. But she probably, you know, she probably made it on top. You know, going to Howard, that's an Ivy now, League now, school, now and granted, she's tenured. She may be making more money there also. Oh, for sure. On the opposite but, end of the spectrum. I mean, what great, so. what kind of great life is that where you're tenured? Like, tenure, first of all, tenure <laughs> shouldn't be a thing, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're teaching our kids things in a state uni- or university that's funded by our tax dollars, it's lies. Why should you not be able to be removed? It's not even just from us. Like it's the school Why, can't the school okay. can't remove them. That's right? a good point. Why is Bill Ayers there? Why is Bernadine Dorn there? Why is Peter Stroke there? No. You know yeah. all these people. Mm-hmm. You know Bernadine Dorn, Bill Ayers blew up police stations. They're teaching at college. Mm-hmm. Peter Stroke, we know, we know had had the uh, text messages between him and and Page talking about taking the president out that they had and working for the FBI. Which I've said before is maybe treason, maybe don't know. Well, it's only treason if you're conservative. Yeah, but you know that's what I'm saying. He's actually, you know, he's teaching at a, at a university now too. So yeah, you, yeah, you've got they're yeah. communists. Yeah, I mean they're 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 doing what they're doing for the party. You know, they do what they do for the party, and, and the party will take care of you. Here's here's the thing. So you got Yuri Bezmenov back in the day saying, you know, fifteen twenty years. That's how long it takes. Much further past the Well, but that's, see, here's the point. My point is they're actually moving on to the actual college now. They got through the 15, uh, the 15 years or whatever, 20 years to get through high school. Mm. Now they're actually moving on to colleges. And it'll be interesting to see what happens there because in the history of a lot of revolutions, the colleges have been where the revolution starts. Even mm. whether, it's, whether it's good revolution or not. In Russia, you had a lot of college students are in the Bolshevik uprising. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether it's for liberty or for control, the colleges is often where a movement starts. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens once they reach this hot spot of a lot of young people who are ready to rebel against whatever whatever's here. Yeah. I don't know how that reaction is going to And I understand that at, at, when I was younger, when I was younger as you were. You know, I was very... I was a liberal. Yeah, I, I was a liberal. I was a liberal until several, just a few years ago. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I was too. And it's just, it gets to the point where, and I'm hoping that the same thing will happen. It's like these people will actually get out in the real world and they have to pay taxes. <laughs> and, you know, they actually have to be responsible and the government's not going to take care of them. And they're going to figure out that they've been lied to for the last 22 years. Well, it makes you a victim, it's though. It's, it's a very victimhood. It's hard to get out of that, though, especially when now you have all these student loans well, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's like now you're a victim still, well, even if you want to get out of that system. <laughs> right. Well, I understand it. But at that time, they don't care. Yeah. You know, that, that's one thing that I actually uh, was talking to my younger cousin about when he actually started school. And I was talking to him about the differences between high school and college. Yeah. I was like, you're actually paying to go to school now, bro. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you pay before you go. 
<laughs> All right. So they, I mean, you can go or you can not go, but they're getting their money, you know, and they're going to pass or fail you. And trust me, they're, you know, some of them will, some of them will help you out, but a lot of them ain't, you know, and that's where, you know, responsibility needs, needs to actually be taken up mm-hmm. and be started at. They need to do you that know, in high school, though. But, you know. Um, that should be, high school should be a place where they teach you how to well, be on your own. I, I understand that, but, but see, that's the thing. There's such there's such a big, that's that's correct. I'm actually agreeing with you. No, but, yeah. but the culture is so different between six months of your life. But, dude. They, or maybe three or four months from the time you actually graduate to the time you actually go to college. It should be. You should have to wait a year. Well, a lot of people are doing gap years now. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I'm doing, but, but it's, it's weird for The problem, though, like whenever that. they incentivize you not to do that because you don't, you lose state funding if you do that. You uh, don't, uh, like, if you don't go straight through, then you don't get the scholarships for your GPA and that stuff from high school. So that's... There's another reason to homeschool, because I don't have to say I finished high school until until I want to. So I can just that's true. technically stay in high school until I immediately go to college. So yeah, that's life. a good point. But yeah, yeah so that, for other people, though, that's what, you know, it's like if you don't right. go straight through, then now you don't get the state funding or the, the federal right. whatever because you're not, you're not technically a traditional student right. anymore. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, um, this, this in, in the around the 1619 project, you got critical race theory and all that stuff now. You know, all of it kind of goes together. You know, you got yeah. the National Education Association, which is the biggest uh, union of teachers in the nation actually supporting mm-hmm. CRT now. Oh yeah, they're just going to party lines, dude. You so, just created the, well, I mean, yeah. you know, that's that's what trips me out about the whole thing. And, you know, you get rid of them, teach them at home. Parents do just right. a fine well, job. I mean, I, I understand that, you know, but we got to get to the point to where, you know, like charter schools and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, school we, choice should be a thing. Yeah, school mm-hmm. choice, man. We need mm-hmm. to get that point out there and everything else. And it's just like, you know, I'm actually, uh, I'm glad I met you now because I'm <laughs> very interested to see as you go through college how no, you're no, going no. to change or uh-huh. um, how the struggles that you're going to have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's I, an uphill battle. I can't even imagine. It's so easy to be liberal in college. You're just like, eh, whatever. Everyone's having, a, everyone's partying and doing their own thing. It's That's a liberal thing. They're like, yeah, just do whatever you want. You don't believe in, I mean, you don't even have to worry about God. Just everything that feels good, do it. Right. And that's exactly how the school right. is. I mean, it's just right. Everybody you want to pay for it. Yeah, and if you, yeah, yeah, you just take a change of classes, do whatever feel you feel like doing this today, then just you know change your major. You know, it's just all very wishy washy. Do you want to right. study gender? Um, yeah, lesbian ah, dance gosh. theory. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah, and then women's history. Unfortunately, is not just women's history. It's it's, it's women's it's, suffrage. I mean, that's it's fat or it's women's. Almost, it's, femi- it's feminism. But you teach it. You teach. That's where it started at the liberalism and school. Yeah, but there's a there's a there, there's actually kind of <clears> like <throat> a uh, a divide now. I was actually reading an article between the other day. actual feminists, yeah, feminists and, 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 and liberals. Like, yeah, in the in the um, I guess the gender studies or whatever. They're actually kind of at war at the, at the because collegiate femi- academic level. Because feminists actually believe that women are just equal. They think women can do thing everything that a man can do. But the liberals, you want to victimize everyone because femi- yeah, a real right. feminist doesn't want to be a victim. And a real feminist believes that women are actually objectively women. That they're yeah, not something exactly. that can change around. You're not gonna, right. yeah, you're not gonna so, say we're physically dominant, you know, or you know, yeah. you can't be a man. You know, there's, they there's, hate that. Man, I'm telling you, man, there's a lot of cultural stuff that's going on, man. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it trips me out to see the difference in just when I grew up. I mean, you know, I, I've heard when I was your age. I heard everybody say, oh, man, I remember when I was 20 years old, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm actually in that seat. And I can't believe because, you know, what we had done, you know, in, objectively as a nation has worked. 
-hmm. you know, I can't, I can't understand, you know, where we've gotten to a point to where, you know, honestly, I believe that if we had some college students here, you know, and, uh, you know, they had been taught, well, you can stick your hand in this fire and it won't burn. You know, they actually believe it. You know, it's actually mm -hmm. the cognitive dissonance is actually created. You know, it's like, because I know some of them have got to be sitting there thinking, hmm, oh, man. No, you, you know, keep like, them occupied with smoking weed yeah. and doing drugs. Well, I mean, you like, know. I'm hearing this in class, but when I go out here and talk to my dad, it's different. Well, you dude, know what I'm the, they're it's raised to... The bubble there. It's yeah. totally different from the real they're, they're, They look to their professors as their... That's their role model. That's, yeah, that's well, their daddy. Well, we actually the school talked is about their that. daddy. Yeah. yeah, we actually talked about that. And yeah. that's you know, one of the things, you know, they, they actually do. get away from their parents. They get away from that cultural yeah. structure, you but know. And then, if you look at college, it's just all a communist structure. I mean, you're living in the dorms. You're, yeah. you're fed by the school. You don't worry. I mean, money doesn't actually exchange hands. It's just like they take care of you. Thankfully, grades are still mostly not communist. I heard of one economics class where they where all the students wanted to socialize the grades. So they socialized the grades, and everybody ended up with a D average. Right. That's Yeah, that's, yeah. that's ridiculous. I read that, You actually. have to have an incentive structure. Yeah, yeah that's what Even I'm Even in communism. Well, but what happens is people stop trying. You know, yeah. you've got the people who actually want to achieve, and they're like, well, man, I'm busting my butt studying trying to do all this work. Mm -hmm. But old boy, if he's partying every night, drinking beer or whatever, mm -hmm. and then he, he's going to get the same grade I am, and then everybody's just like, no, nah, man. Yeah, that's capitalism, too. You got to. You got to. You have incentive. Humans need incentive. They have to. Yeah, I mean, pretty much for everything. Yeah, you know? for everything. But so, anyway, so we've been we've been talking for a long yeah, time. Yeah, we just yeah We're running our mouths. Okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, uh, guys, I want to say uh, if you like us and our message resonates with you, hit us up. It's the Big Mac Podcast. We're on Spotify. Um, everybody, you know, support us, like, subscribe, hit the bell, do whatever it is you got to do. Yeah, and share us. Yeah, yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your family. You know, do whatever. And uh, if you want to come on the show, send us a message, too. Yeah, let us know. Comment. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Isaac Funderburk. Yes. Uh, I wish you uh, all the help, and well, all the luck in this journey that you're getting ready to start mm -hmm. called your adult life. We'd like uh -huh. to have you keep coming back, too. We'd like yeah. to hear some, hear some stories. Yeah, some yeah, definitely. And uh, as time goes on, like I say, brother, we're going we're gonna to watch you grow. Okay. You know. should, should be interesting. Yeah. I'll watch myself too. Yeah, yeah. You can do that. Coming. You just get a mirror okay. and be like, yeah, I'm growing. That's what we're doing. Yeah. 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 I look so. back 20 years from yeah. now and watch this episode. Yeah, and yeah. I'll be, I'll be 60 and I'll be like, well, you little whippersnapper. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, man. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, all right. We're getting crazy. Window. All right, man. Everybody, peace.